happen uh, to this today, Godly Wisdom for Life Decisions. We've got two parts left in our series on the book of James. Uh, if you've missed it again, catch up on it. And so we are getting stuck into that, and we want to look at Godly Wisdom for Life Decisions. To get us started, a few definitions on wisdom from Google, which gives us the truth all the time. Um, this is one. It said, wisdom is the ability to discern or judge what is right, true, or lasting. That was one. The Collins Dictionary said, wisdom is the ability to use your experience and knowledge in order to make sensible decisions or judgments. So this gives us a rough idea, and it's really important we see the difference between knowledge and wisdom. There's a big difference between the two. You see, you can have knowledge without wisdom, but you can't have wisdom without knowledge. You can have knowledge and not have any wisdom that goes with it, but you can't have it the other way around because wisdom is knowledge applied in the best possible way. You see, wisdom directs our knowledge. Let's think of a few examples. A pilot can know all that there is about an airplane. He can know what all the switches do, but wisdom is what will help him apply his knowledge in changing circumstances for safe travel. A university student can increase knowledge. They can study for three years. They can study for five years. They can study for seven years. But wisdom is what will help them apply it in the marketplace to actually benefit people. Parents, we can read every book there is to know on parenting. We can go to every seminar. We can read the, all there is to know about Scripture. But wisdom is what will help us apply what we've learned to our particular children, to where they are at their stage in life. Knowledge will help us learn scripture, but wisdom is the only thing that will help us apply what we learn to actually love God through it. We can know everything there is to know about this and be very far from God. That's called religion. Religion is knowing information, but actually faith in Christ is about that information drawing us closer to God. And so wisdom is essential for us to be the type of people and to raise the type of little people that will live in eternity with Jesus and also will do good in this world. That's why we desperately need wisdom. And so we're going to look at some key passages in the book of James. We're going to jump around a bit because as I shared before, that's what James does. He's this writer of letters who, who takes different parts at different times. And so he jumps around a, a bit. He doesn't flow systematically in his letter. And these are the three things we're going to look at. What is the difference between earthly wisdom and godly wisdom? Why do we even need godly wisdom if there is a difference in point one? And then how do we operate in godly wisdom? So first one, earthly wisdom versus godly wisdom. And James gives us a great example. He explains it. So it's going to be up on your screen. This is what he says, James 4, 13 to 15. He says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live, we will do this, we will do that. I want you to notice a few key differences in, in the contrast that James is bringing today. The first one, that perspective is all about me focus or about we focus, but it's an earthly human perspective. It involves making specific plans, but without inviting God into the making of those plans. Do you notice there? It says, today or tomorrow, we're going to do this. There's no mention of God. We're going to make this plan, do this business, make this money. No mention of God. So it's doing things, but it's without inviting him into the situation. 
And it speaks of lots of things, geographic travel, business development, creation of wealth. And whilst these things are not bad things at all, this perspective doesn't recognize that our lives are actually fragile on earth, that they can actually vanish in a moment, and that life on earth is incredibly short compared to all of eternity. It's an entirely earthly-focused wisdom. The first type of wisdom is what we call earthly wisdom. And it may involve some great things, as I just shared. It might involve a good family, great education, money saved in the bank, travel, retirement. It could. But it fails to invite God into the equation. And therefore, no matter how wise it is, it's foolish if it never results in a relationship with Jesus. It's actually foolish if that wisdom never results in a relationship with Jesus because it will vanish like mist. Our lives will vanish like mist. And scripture backs this up. Look at Proverbs 1 verse 7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then he links that with wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So what's the writer of Proverbs? King Solomon, who wrote much of Proverbs, not all of it, but much of it, who was considered to be the wisest and greatest king in existence. What's he getting across? He's saying, well, actually, All knowledge and wisdom, the start of it, the very start of true wisdom is recognizing that God is powerful and he's in control. That's the first, the the starting point. And that word fear is not about being scared or afraid of God. It's humbly realizing our state before him. It's realizing that he rules, not us. And there's a difference between the two. And so anything outside of it, we can be as wise as we want in an earthly sense outside of that. But it's actually foolish if it doesn't recognize Jesus because we're missing out on the most important thing. Let's look at the opposite. James now looks at it and he says, what we rather ought to say at that last phrase, if the Lord wills, we ought to live this way, do this and do that. And so do you see the tiny change? He's still saying we should do things. We should live this way. We should get out and about. We should make profit. We should uh, create wealth. We should travel. He's saying it's not that we don't do those things. The start of the sentence is very different. The start of the sentence is if the Lord wills. And that means that we recognize God is God. It means we recognize he's in control and we aren't. It recognizes that even this mist of our lives that will vanish, he's in control of. It's mapped out by him. Look at these verses that speaks about that. Job 14 verse 5. He says, since his days are determined and the number of his months is with you and you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. It talks about God in control of our lives. Psalm 139 verse 16, one of my favorite ones, which actually is one of the key Bible passages we look at when it comes to why God is so against abortion. Because it says he saw our unformed body. It says that God actually mapped out our lives before we were even cells joined together in our mother's womb, which is why abortion could never be right in God's context. But later on, he then says, your eyes saw, which it says here, your unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So God marked out our lives before we were even in our mother's tummy. It's incredible. It's astounding. That's what it means to, to believe that our lives are in God's hands. And that's actually the most freeing place to live. I would be terrified as a person, as a father, life in general, if I truly believed that everything rested on me. It would be a terrifying place to live. And I'm so grateful that God rules and reigns supreme. And so once we're in that place of humility, then we bring our plans and our desires to God. But we allow Him to shape our plans and desires. We allow Him to be the one who directs the trajectory 
of our lives. Because of the shortness of life on earth, we bring ourselves to him in humility. We say, God, these are my gifts. These are my abilities. This is my money. These are my kids. These are my passions. These are my desires. We bring them to him. Like what we are singing today, we surrender to him. And we say, God, how can I make the best use of these gifts and these opportunities in the shortness of life on earth? That's wisdom. That's godly wisdom because it lasts beyond the grave. And it's important to realize that there can be a very large difference between what is wise according to society and what is wise according to Jesus. There can be a very big difference in that. There are times they line up, sure. There's brilliant people who aren't Christ followers and we can learn so much from them. It might be in the area of counseling. It might be in the area of parenting. It might be in money management. There's so many things we can learn from people who aren't Christ followers. And that's because we're all made in God's image. If we're made in his image with ultimately DNA that comes from him, he gives us wisdom whether we follow him or not. There is that level. It could be an array of different areas. But there are times when what Jesus says is wise is completely upside down to society. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18, he says the message of the cross, Jesus dying rising again, an opportunity for us to have life beyond the grave, for our sin to be forgiven. He says the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. And so scripture, for many, they just say, this is pathetic what you believe. How can there be a God? How can God die for you? Why do you even need God? Do life on your own. And so for many, the wisdom of Jesus is foolishness. It's an upside-down kingdom. And so God's wisdom, turning to Christ, giving our lives to Him, could look like foolishness and the other way around. Sometimes godly wisdom will also go against natural wisdom because it's from a kingdom that takes more importance than the kingdom of earth. This wisdom prioritizes the kingdom of heaven versus the kingdoms of this world. And because the wisdom from God is related to an earthly kingdom, the focus is very different to earthly wisdom. You see, the greatest priority to God is that number one, we would know him, and that number two, others would know him. So every bit of wisdom that he gives will flow with his heartbeat into those areas. But other types of wisdom that don't have God's spirit on them will direct us in a different direction. And so we need to ask God to help show us the difference between the two. I was talking with Layla about this, my daughter, uh, this morning, because we were talking about who were zealots. They were people who are kind of wild. They're a little bit off the edge. But her and uh, my other daughter, Erin, have been reading these biographies of people who gave their lives for Christ, people who did the most astounding things. And uh, we've been saying to them, you see, girls, if Jesus asks you to go to the most difficult place on earth, to listen to him is wisdom, and to not listen to him is foolishness, because that would be his ultimate purpose and impact for you, and he would, he, he would love you through it, and you would experience his purpose in it. It's that case. We live in a world where, no, we, we shy away from anything difficult. We make sure life's comfortable. We're happy to follow Jesus as long as he's our genie and gives us everything we want, but actually, his call is to reach people who don't know him, and that might take us anywhere and into the hardest and most difficult places, and that's wisdom if that's what God asks us to do. So that's the first one. We need to know the difference. There's a big difference. Second one, why do we need godly wisdom? We've seen the difference, but why do we actually need it? What's the outworking? What's the trajectory of those two when we come to it? So James 3, 13 to 18, look at what he says. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. 
But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, heavenly wisdom, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Pretty scary. We'll come to it in a short bit. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness, a harvest of what is right, is sown in peace by those who make peace. This shows some of the life overflow that happens when we follow two different types of wisdom. And again, there's not to say every type of earthly wisdom and operating in that is evil, but it is to realize that if we're informed in our decision-making by anything other than Jesus and by His Word, it is operating according to a different kingdom. So if selfish ambition and jealousy drive our decision-making, then the result is going to be disorder and vile practices. And you might say, that sounds a little bit harsh if I act in that manner. But let's think about it for a short moment. Let's break it down. If we don't follow Jesus, what motivates us deep down? If you're not a Christ follower and you're exploring faith today or anybody in society who isn't following Jesus, what is our motivator for life if it's not Christ? And I would say for many, it actually is personal ambition. It's ambition, could be part of it, and um, and jealousy. There's an element of those in it. Why do I say that? Well, if we break it down for a little bit, what else are we doing in our lives? We want our lives to matter. We want our lives to count. And we compare ourselves to our friends. How am I doing? Do I have the car that my mate has? Do I live in the same area as them? Do my kids go to the same school that they go to? Are my kids going to go to the top universities? Uh, do, you know, we, am I as good at sport as different people? We compare ourselves. We live this life of selfish ambition. When we compare ourselves to others, it starts to bring jealousy. We want what other people have. We might want the kids they have if ours are badly behaved. We might want the job that they have if we hate our job, if we think their bums landed in the butter. But we compare ourselves to others, and that brings something called jealousy. We struggle to celebrate others' successes because deep down we want what they have. So I struggle to celebrate that the Springboks won because deep down I wish I was a Springbok. You know, but this is this case we can live in the past and just in the in the when we's. What happened back in the day? Oh, one day I, no, I I played a first team game and I scored a try. So yes, they're the Springboks. But just remember, you know, why do we say those sorts of things? We compare ourselves. We want to have value, and we struggle to have value when we compare ourselves to other people. If we're honest, a lot of earthly decisions are made because of ambition. Self, self-focused ambition and comparison to others. The result of that, it's disorder. It's disordered families, which might lead to broken marriages or unhealthy raising of our kids. Disordered sexuality. We start to take what society says about sexuality versus what God says. Disordered parenting. Our kids begin to rule our lives instead of us directing their lives. We try to keep them happy. We do everything that our kids want instead of parenting them. Disordered nations because of political leadership. And that devolves into really terrible and vile practices. Things like messed up sexuality, abortion regulations, lack of integrity, and the list keeps going on. That's what it devolves into. If we look at the news today, that's what we see. Look at society and where our wisdom has got us. 
Where has the wisdom of this world got us as people and got us as society? These friends of mine in Canada, there was just a huge vote because what they're trying to do in Canada is remove all rights from a parent. So there's a huge vote saying, actually, you have zero rights as a parent, and if you try and exercise that on your children, they're either able to get taken away from you or it's a lock-up offense for you. And so that's the movement into vile practices, and the list goes on and on. We celebrate what's evil. We shun what is good. The rich get richer. The poor get poorer. Integrity is a thing of the past. We want to make the Bible say what we want it to say versus accepting what the Bible says and living on the back of that. It leads us down a road that's far from God. And as I said earlier, even those who are the most upright people, I know some amazing people who aren't Christ followers, lovely people, absolutely wonderful people in the world, but ultimately, if they don't open themselves to Christ and turn their lives over to Christ, ultimately their lives will end in foolishness. And so we have to pray that God moves it to his wisdom. And if you're here today and you're exploring faith, God's challenge to you today will be to start moving towards him in wisdom. And we need to be careful that we don't slip into this kind of thinking. Take Zimbabwe, it's not a huge thing, but take Halloween as an example. 31st, coming up right now. Now it's not a massive event here, Maybe it's bigger than I think because maybe I'm not in those circles. But everywhere else in the world, I was in Canada and I was trying to find Christmas decorations because we love Christmas. So Canadian ones, specifically Canadian ones, very hard to find. Anyway, we were looking for Christmas decorations and I couldn't really find many because all of the shops were just Halloween. I mean, that's all it was is Halloween. Um, And so... There's a high percentage of Christians who celebrate it. There's a high percent of their kids who take part in it. But friends, I've done my research on this. I did it the last two days because I was in Canada. It went all over the place. I've kind of thought, Zim, who really cares? It's not a big thing. I did some research on it. And can I tell you, I cannot find anything good about celebrating Halloween. I cannot find anything good about our kids celebrating it. I searched. And I searched on non-faith-based websites. In fact, one of them that I was looking at, and I I looked at all the origins of Halloween, it actually dates back to an ancient Celtic or Celtic, however you say it, festival called Samhain. Samhain, you might say, but Samhain. And the the Celts lived um, 2,000 years ago, mostly in an area of Ireland. That's actually where this whole festival uh, comes about from. And uh, they celebrated their new year on the 1st of November, and on the 31st of November, it was kind of end of harvest time. It was moving into winter. It was a time when people died because of the winter, and and there was all sorts of things. And they believed that the night before the new year was the boundary between the spiritual realms, between the living and the dead. And so it was this moment in time where you really had to be careful and you had to get your ducks in a row to make sure that death didn't follow you in the year ahead. And so they celebrated this. It was believed that ghosts came to earth, ghosts returned and lived among, the, among us. You could speak to the dead. And so you'd put on these costumes and you would scare away the bad ghosts and uh, you would have light inside pumpkins to try and scare them away and those sorts of things. And during these celebrations, you'd wear animal heads, clothe yourselves in skins. Um, anything, you'd attempt to tell each other's fortunes and anything you could do to, to shield yourself from death and to protect yourself from it. You'd light big bonfires to, to, share, uh, to scare away the darkness. And actually, in, this happened for quite a while, just in this area. And then people started to travel the globe. And this is a little bit of history for you. I think it's good. And in AD 609, Pope Boniface, a great guy, he dedicated some areas of Rome in honor of Christian martyrs. 
And so he created something called All Martyrs Day. This was established in the Western Church. And then it was expanded to include all people who followed Jesus. Martyrs, but those who we celebrate, who gave their lives for the cause of God. Who, who made an impact for the cause of God. And they started to observe this on November the 1st. And so it was called All Saints Day. That's what they would celebrate at that time. And that got known uh, for many, many years. And they would have All Saints Day. November the 2nd sometimes was called All Souls Day. So you'd remember the saints. Then you'd think about all people on that day. And uh, so All Saints Day was, was celebrated also with these bonfires and uh, with, with, with celebration, with celebration of what God had done. And so the, the night before that, the night before that, the 31st, was, um, all, was actually called All Hallows or All Hallows from Middle English, which means All Saints Day. That was the night before. That's what they celebrated. And uh, so the tradition night, which was Samhain in the Celtic religion, became known as All Hallows Eve, as you were looking to all the saints, all the saints, we were looking ahead to it, All Hallows Eve, and slowly over time it drifted into this word called Halloween. And that's where we get it from today. So you can see that we had something rooted and something completely demonic, who then actually the church went, this isn't really that helpful. We want to celebrate what God has done. We actually want to use that night to actually celebrate the great things God has done. And so that carried on for many years. And then over time, commercially and through society, we've actually seen a move back to embracing and enjoying actually what used to happen on those demonic days, on those days of Sarwin. So I share this. Why do I share this? Because I don't think we should take it lightly. I was listening to someone this week who was heavily involved in the occult and who was restored from it. And he was asked by a friend of mine on the podcast, hey, listen, so this is a bit of fun in the UK, sweets, trick or treat. And he was like, I would never go near that in a million years. He's like, from being involved in this, from living in the occult, from embracing the demonic, he's like, why would you even open a door to those sorts of things in your kids' lives? You might just argue, Craig, this is pretty silly for you to be preaching on it. It's just a little bit of fun. But that's what Satan loves to do. He candy coats poison, and he does it all the time. That's what he loves to do. You might say, it's just a few sweets. Our kids scare each other. It's just some fun ghost stories. We read goosebumps and all those sorts of things. But friends, can I encourage you and challenge you that I don't, wouldn't want to move my kids in that direction. I don't want to move them towards Jesus. So why would I want to open the door in their minds to those sorts of things when I could open the door in their minds to the things of Christ? I don't want to bring an unhealthy interest in the supernatural to their lives that's not of Jesus. I'm just not up for that. And so that, that's my challenge. So friends, make it a day to celebrate Jesus. Make it a conversation starter. Friends of yours who are celebrating, friends who aren't Christ followers, just say, hey, actually, do you know the most amazing thing that the word Halloween actually comes from All Saints Day? It actually used to celebrate people who had lived their lives for Christ. We've now moved back to the original um, uh, meaning of a different celebration, not Halloween, the celebration of Samhain. But actually, that's what it was about, and it can be a great conversation starter for you. Why do I share this? I want us to exercise wisdom. What is earthly wisdom? What is godly wisdom? How do we gauge between and ask? And I'm not going to beat you up if you decide to think differently on me, about me on this topic. I just do it because I researched it, and I think we need to take these kind of things seriously. Let's look at what happens when we operate with godly wisdom. Look what the passage tells us are just some of the results. Good conduct, being pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, sincere, 
a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Just some of those words. I go, wouldn't you like your life and my life to be that? Wouldn't you like to have peace when you go to bed at night? Wouldn't you like to be free from anxiety? Wouldn't you like your relationships to be gentle and not angry or not fractured? Wouldn't you love to be full of mercy for your life to produce something, to have good fruit, good productivity, where people look in and go, I'd love my life to be like that person's life. There's just something about it. There's something about the marriage and the family and, and the business they're part of. I, I just want some of that. Wouldn't you love it to be sincere, to be full of integrity? I think we'd all want that. We want that personally. We'd want that in our marriages. We want that for our kids. I know I want it for mine. Definitely want it for mine. And we also sung this, um, which I actually didn't look at to know we were singing. But my challenge and the verse that popped to my mind as I was going through this is Matthew 7, 24, where it just says, everyone who hears my words of wisdom and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock on a strong foundation. When tough circumstances come your way, you stay firm. When life gets hard, you stay firm. So as we close, short little bit last point. How do we operate in this? You might say, it sounds great. You've spoken about this, Craig. You've spoken about this wisdom. How do I operate in it? Well, thankfully, God doesn't hide his wisdom from us. He's a good dad. He's a good father. When we ask him, he gives it. He says this in James again. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. And that person won't receive anything from God because he's double-minded. It's not that God's not giving him. It's just that if we, if we don't trust what God says as truth, we start to act differently. And so what do we do? What do we do today as we close? We ask with faith, knowing that our Father gives us supernatural, godly wisdom, and he gives it happily. That we listen to his answer through his word, and we act on it. We live it out. We act in faith and in obedience, whether it makes sense in society or whether it doesn't. We act on it because it's truth from his word. Sure, we're going to make mistakes, but he's a great father who loves to see us live the right way and walk in purpose. Romans 12 verse 2 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Let God transform our thinking that by testing we may dis discern what the will of God is, his good, acceptable, and perfect will, which he gives us in wisdom. Should we stand? We'll close and pray. There's a passage, actually, before I pray, you can look on the screen here. It's, it's what I'm going to pray, and I'm going to get us to respond shortly. I love this. This is from the Apostle Paul. He says, my prayer is that your love, which you want at Hope Church, will abound more and more with knowledge and with all discernment, those two together, wisdom, so that you may approve what's excellent, so we might know what's right in the world, and we might be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. I love that. We're going we're gonna to pray into that. So should we close our eyes for short, but you don't have to close your eyes. It might help you concentrate. But I'd love us for a moment. Holy Spirit, would you show us, firstly, maybe for some of you here today, you might be the wisest person in an earthly sense. But when it comes to the message of the cross, you haven't operated in wisdom. Maybe for the first time today, 
you've realized your need, that you have sin and brokenness in your heart, and that sin can't be in the presence of a perfect God. I want you to know today he died on the cross for you thousands of years ago, the perfect sacrifice, the Son of God. He died on the cross. He was the perfect sacrifice for our sin so that if we believe in him, if we put our trust in him, that he died and rose again in our place, we earn his perfection. When God sees us, he sees the perfect son. We can have great relationship with him now and beyond the grave for all eternity. And the wisest thing you could do today, the wisest thing is to turn your life to Christ and say, Jesus, I believe. Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you change me from the inside out? Would you make me a new creation? If you do that, you can say it in your heart today. If you do that, that's the wisest decision you can ever make. We would love to help you on your journey. You could fill in a connect card. I can get in touch with you within the week. You can say, I made a decision to follow Jesus, but we'd love to help you on that. And the rest of us, just for a moment, Holy Spirit, would you show us where in our lives we're acting with earthly wisdom versus supernatural wisdom? Would you do it right now? And he'll show you. That's how good God is. It might be in the way you're parenting your kids. It might be in your relationship, pre or in marriage. It might be your money and what you do with it. It might be in your plans and you're planning your life, but you're not inviting God into any of it. It could be in any different areas. And my challenge and my encouragement is just as we sung to come to God and say, God, I want to surrender these things. If it's your will, in your will, with you leading my life, would you take what I have, would you direct my life, and you'll see the most astounding changes as you walk in his ways. Thank you that when we ask right now for wisdom, you can ask him quietly for your toughest life situations. You can say, God, right now, would you give me your wisdom? Lord Jesus, would you give us your wisdom? We want to live it out. In your powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for being with us today.